good to see everybody. Um, if you've paid much attention to what's been going on in the world, uh, the news, things like that, um, you you will surely have noticed that we there have been several um, shootings across the world. There was one really bad one in New Zealand um, at a mosque. There was one in the Netherlands killing at least three. Even on our back porch in Louisville, I mean, all the time. You can't really turn on the news without seeing it. And, and if you spend any time on Facebook or social media or Twitter or whatever, what is, what is the one thing that you see people put on these, on these articles or on these, these posts? How do, how do people give their condolences? Our thoughts and prayers. We'll give you our thoughts and prayers, right? Um, something caught my eye the other day. A comedian named Anthony, I'm probably going to butcher his last name, Jesselnik. Uh, he has a skit, and he, he's, not, he's not very clean, as most comedians, so I wouldn't really recommend go, going and Googling him, but I will paraphrase what he says. The people who see something horrible happen in the world, and they run to the Internet, and they run to their social media, and they all write down the exact same thing. My thoughts and prayers. Do you know what that's worth? He says it's worth less than nothing. All you're doing is saying, don't forget about me today. What do you think? I'd have to agree that there's probably some people out there that probably do it for that reason. Self-centered attention grab, right? Maybe even most. Who knows? We don't, we don't really know. We don't know the, the object of people's hearts. Um, but certainly some. But what about us? What about, what about us born-again Christians? What about us who have been given a new heart? Are our prayers worth, worthless, worth less than nothing? And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about was um, if God has things planned in the future, how can our, how can our prayers have any power at all? If, if all we're doing is praying to a God who has everything laid out before us, he is, he is that. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. Then how, how do our prayers make any difference? How can, how can we change him? So, so, I, so some of you might know, I, I write software for a living. I'm an engineer, and it is, uh, I have an engineer's brain, and my wife will, will tell you how much frustration that causes in our household. I have to have things explicitly planned out for me. If she doesn't come to me and tell me this is exactly what I want, I will do it wrong. I will do it wrong every single time. Um, and I, when, I, when I come to a problem like this, that's how I have to approach it. I have to approach it systematically. I have to break it down and walk through it piece by piece because that's how I solve a problem. So we have a problem. If, if God is sovereign, and, and we'll give a definition for that, if God has plans for everything, how are we to pray? So why, why do we pray? The first is obvious, right? The first, the, the first step of this is obvious. Why are we to pray? Because he commands us to. It's, it's not optional. We have to do it. It is mandated by God that we pray. First Thessalonians five sixteen through nineteen says, "Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit." Ephesians six eighteen, when he's talking about the armor of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Um, James five thirteen through eighteen. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him praise. 
Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Romans 12, um, 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Even looking to Christ himself, he was, a, he was a fervent prayer. He prayed nonstop in the New Testament. He just prayed all the time. Even, even in the garden, when he knew that he was going to be crushed, he prayed. He knew the plan that God had for him, and he prayed anyways. Right? So just because God, just because we know that God knows what's going to happen, doesn't mean that it negates prayer. So the first step in this is we are commanded to pray. It's not optional. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. So if we're commanded to pray, there must be a reason, right? So this is my logic going through this in my head. Why do we pray? Because God tells us. Why does God tell us? Well, because he wants us to acknowledge that he is the high and mighty and he has the power. He has power and rules over everything. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits in eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high, pl- high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Jonah 2.9 But I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What, have I, what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Psalm 93 um, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. The, uh, verse 4, m- mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. And Jonah, you know, he says, salvation comes from God alone. God owns salvation. It is his, not ours. It is of his design. So he, God requires that we understand that he has universal power, universal dominion over everything. So why? Why does he want us to why does he want us to realize this? Why why put himself so high? So walking through this chain, why does God want us to pray? Because he commands us to. Why does he command us to? To set himself on high and to put us in our lowly place where we deserve to be. He puts us in our place for our spiritual blessing and for our growth in grace. Prayer is designed by God to put us in our place and to humble us. If one of the reasons he commands us to pray is to make us realize his great power, ability, and willingness to act and be personal, it's a natural conclusion that those things would humble us. If we take, if we take him seriously on his claims of who he is and where his rightful place is on our hearts, it will humble us. John Calvin um, called, called prayer the chief exercise of faith. So faith, so, so faith comes by hearing, right? We preach the gospel, speak the scriptures, and it does its work. But we, we exercise, once that's done, our faith in prayer. That is our work to be done. John 5, 15, 7 says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And we'll come back to that later, because that opens a whole new box of worms, right? One of the key ways we live a life of faith is through prayer. It is one of the greatest ways we bring about our humility before God and our dependence on the Lord. So, walking through this in my little engineer brain, uh, so for, first, some of you might be like, well, why did you pick this? Why did, why did you pick this topic? Um, 
It, it is something that I struggled with for a while, and I know it's something that a lot of people struggle with. How, how can we pray? It's something that has been brought to my attention several times, and it's something you're going to get asked. You might get asked by a non-believer. You might be asked by a young believer or a believer that just hasn't made their way through this yet. And being equipped to answer these questions is important. Um, so walking through this, the first step was because he commands us. Why do we pray? He commands us. And that honestly might be the very most important one because we're, we're, we are called to follow his law and he, he has commanded us to pray. The next is to honor and worship him, to lift him up and to put him on the throne of our heart. The next is for our spiritual blessing and grace um, by causing us to be humble. Realizing who he is and who we are humbles us. And by humbling us, the last step here is seeking him for our needs. If we're humbled into the dirt, if we're humbled to the ground, then we can do nothing on our own. We can do nothing without him. And so that causes us to seek him for our needs. Um, Brother Van just prayed a, a, a he, he just prayed over some, some people that have been hurting for a, a long time. And um, that, is, that is one of the greatest ways. Intercessory prayer is one of the greatest ways that we can show our love for fellow brothers and sisters. Just something that I had come across. And um, it's true. If, when, when somebody is hurting, going through something, going through a tribulation, one of the best ways we can show our love for them is to pray over them not walk by them in the hallway, not ask them how their, how their week was or how, how, how are they doing this morning, but to say, you know, you don't, you don't look very good. You don't look like, you know, you look like you might be having some trouble. Can I pray for you? And that will go a long way of lifting them up. And seeking him for our needs um, is, is not just informing God of, of our needs. God doesn't need to be informed of what we need. So are there any questions over... Anything that I've said so far? Any comments? I'm not going to stand up here and, and pretend that this is a, an all-inclusive definition of prayer because it's not. It's not. And it, I, I am approaching this as a, as a specific answer to if God has things planned and he can't be changed, then how, how do we approach prayer? How can we ask for change when he cannot be changed? Um, so don't take this as a universal definition of prayer because it's not. Um, so does anybody have any comments? Mm-hmm. Well, and, but Moses never made it into the promised land, right? <laughs> so let's look at God's sovereignty. Let's, let's give a definition for that. Romans eleven thirty six: For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Matthew 6, 8. The Lord, this is when he's setting up the Lord's prayer. We just went over this a couple weeks ago. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. And he goes on to give us a framework for prayer. Don't worry, I'm not going to recap it. Van did a great job the other day. But, but I do want you to notice something in the Lord's Prayer. Um, what did he say? He said, ask for what? It's not your question. Ask for what? Your daily bread, right? Ask for your daily bread. We are to ask him for things that we need. So these next two here are, are pretty important. Ephesians 3.11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So if you put these two things together, can you change his policies? Can you change his direction, where he's going to go? This was according to the eternal purpose. So his purposes are eternal. They don't change. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He doesn't work some things according to the counsel of his will. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. God has declared that certain things will happen no matter what, and they will happen in a certain way. So that leads me to my next point. And if, if you spend any time in, in, business, in business or corporate America, you'll, you'll hear the term results-oriented, right? They don't really care about how you get there. They just want the result. They want it. You know, like I said, I write software for a living. They don't care how many hours I have to work. I just have to give them a product. Well, God's not like that. To him, to God, the path matters. The road we walk matters, and how we do things matter. So I was trying to, I was trying to come up with an example here of something like this, and the only one that I could really come up with is some, some, like an artist, right? An artist. An artist has in their mind uh, an idea of what they want their product to look like. They have an idea of what they want the picture to look like. Now, it's up to them to decide to use canvas or oil paints or watercolors or whatever. They can make a sculpture. They can do whatever they want, right? They have an idea of what they want it to look like, and they, have, they will choose certain tools to get them to that picture. God decides on the methods that he will accomplish his goals for his own glory it's so he can be glorified and make his name known. Like I said earlier, it's faith comes by hearing. Faith comes from Scripture, and prayer is the conduit through which God uses to bring his, his will about. There's an example of this, um, a couple of examples. One is in Daniel 9, 2 through 3. Um, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the book of Numbers, the, in the books, the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So Daniel understood, Daniel understood how many years the prophets had said their occupation was going to last. How many years was it? It was 70 years. And as 70 years drew near, Daniel lost it. He couldn't, he couldn't take it no more. And he prayed and he fasted. So Daniel knew what God's plan was, but he prayed anyways. Jeremiah 29, 11, we're all familiar with this. At least most of us probably are. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Verse 12, which a lot of people end up skipping. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Did God, did, did God say to Jeremiah, look, I know who you are. I know what I have in store for you. Don't even have to tell me. You don't have to pray to me. I don't need you to tell me. Is that what he said? He said, no, you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Why? Why would, why would God do that? Again, it, prayer, it's not that God's will may be altered, but that it may be accomplished in his own good time and way. So maybe we need to adjust our definition of prayer. If we walk around, if we, if we go poll modern Christians and ask them, what is your view of prayer? What is prayer? Hmm. Okay. Specifically in supplication specifically in asking him to intercede or to do something, to act, 
What do people, how do people view that? I think it might go something along the lines of, I come to God, I ask him for something that I want, and I expect him to give me that thing that I want. Hmm? Hmm? No, that's right, yeah. Yeah. How dishonoring and degrading to God is that? Lowering him to a genie, right? Reducing him to a serving servant, doing our bidding, and performing our pleasure and granting our wishes. That is not what supplication is. That is not what asking God to help and to change things and to intercede is. Prayer is coming to God, telling him my needs, committing my way to the Lord, and leaving him to deal with my needs as he sees fit. This makes my will subject to his instead of trying to bring his will into subjection of mine. No prayer is pleasing to God unless our hearts are saying, not my will, but yours be done. And I know, I know, I know what you're thinking. I mean, how many, how many people did we just pray over? How many people did we just pray over that are having trouble in their life, who've been stuck in the hospital for two weeks, who are hurting? I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that it's easy to bend my will to God's will and to just lay down and accept what he has to offer, accept the way that he wants to do it. But I would like to think that the author of salvation, the creator of the universe, the guy, the, the, the God that has set the earth a specific distance from the sun so that we're not too cold and we're not too hot, knows exactly what he's doing in my life. So I have a couple, I have a couple of examples, examples for us to, to walk through. Um, but first, I have a, I have a question that I kind of want to keep you, I want you to keep in mind as we go through them. Would it be true to say every real prayer of faith that has ever been offered up to God has been answered? Is it true to say every real prayer of faith that has ever been offered up to God has been answered? Let me give you a reminder of our definition of prayer. Prayer is coming, so our definition of intercessory, asking God for things, asking God for change, prayer. Because there's many different aspects to prayer, right? Prayer is coming to God, telling him my need or the need of others, committing my way unto the Lord, and then leaving him to deal with the cases he see, as he deems best. Has God answered every prayer like that? So let's look at Lazarus. John 11, 1 through 6, it should be on your, your paper. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters went to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, he said, This illness does not lead to death, for it is the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So Jesus cared for Lazarus. They were buddies, right? They loved each other as brothers. But he wasn't around when Lazarus got, was sick. So the sisters went to uh, tell Jesus about the situation. And I want you to note, notice how they worded their situation. Lord, he whom you love is ill. That's it. That's all they said. They didn't go on and petition for a list of things for him to do. They didn't ask him to return to Bethany right now. All they did was give their concerns over to Jesus and let him act in the way that he saw fit. And how did Jesus react? Did he answer their request? Yes, he did. But he didn't answer it in the way they expected. He didn't do exactly what they probably thought that they, he probably should have done, right? But our flesh doesn't know better than the God. The Godhead, he knows what is best. He raised Lazarus from the dead, which ultimately brought glory to Christ. 
and probably more than um, had Jesus just healed him from afar or went back to Bethany right then and there. But the thing to know here is the attitude that the women had um, when they brought these things before God. We are needy people and have a host of issues. But again, I, I really think that it would be wise to let God handle things the way he's going to handle them. So the next example is um, 2 Corinthians 12. Um, I'll start at, I don't know what's on your all's papers, at verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it would, be, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So here Paul, Paul had a vision, right? Paul was graced with a vision. And it was more than Paul could handle without being puffed up, without um, becoming prideful. So a thorn was given to him. It was like a constant suffering. And this was to keep him tempered. It was keeping him level-headed to remind him who, who, he, who he really is. And Paul prayed three times for this to be removed. And what did God say? Did God answer his, his prayer, his supplication? He did. But not the way Paul would have wanted him to. The thorn wasn't removed, but grace was given to bear it. The burden was, was not lifted, but strength was given to carry it. And this reminds me of something you'll, another thing you'll see all over Facebook, right? God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Well, of course he does, right? So he can be glorified in strengthening you to move into it and through it. I just find these two examples very, they were convicting to me. That it is, it is not what I want. I bring my need to God and I let him do what he wants to do with it. So going back to uh, John, John 16.23. So, you know, if, if you're familiar with, with scripture, you, you'll have people who will say uh, something like, well, you know, in John it says that if you ask anything in my name, you'll get it, right? And I just kind of wanted to go through this because it kind of ties it back to Christ. John 16, 23, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the follower in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name, asking you will receive that your joy may be full. So a lot of people like to use this um, as a, a keyword, right? I've got a pin number to get whatever I want out of the bank of God. And that is not at all what is meant here. The name of Christ, to approach God in the name of Christ is to approach God as if Christ is asking for those things. The intention of these verses is to petition the Father, to go to the Father and to ask for something. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name. And the way we get to the Father is through Christ. And to ask for God to act in the name of Christ is asking as if Christ himself is asking, which requires us to ask for things that Christ would ask for, which requires our hearts to be aligned with God's heart. And whatever is asked, asked is to be asked on account of his blood and his righteousness. So, to wrap this up, why does, why does he command us to pray? To humble us into the dirt where we belong. And to show us how dependent we are on him. Which causes us to ask him for things that we need. So we know our reliance on him. And it also is to change our heart. Prayer is not so much as an act as it is an attitude. Prayer is an act. We have corporate prayer. We have prayer every Sunday, right? We get up here and we pray every Sunday. We have prayer partners for Van. We have 
Wednesday, Wednesday night prayer, it is an act. And corporate prayer is important. Family prayer is important. Praying with your family is important. But it's also an attitude. It's an attitude adjustment. I should say it in my dad voice. An attitude of dependency, a dependence on God. Prayer is our confession of our weaknesses and our helplessness and it is acknowledgement of our need and spreading it before God. It is the very opposite of dictating to God. So prayer is not asking God to change his plans or for him to create new plans. Prayer is taking an attitude of dependence upon God, the spreading of our need before him, the asking for those things which are in, in accordance with his will because we have a changed heart. We will, if we have a changed heart, we will never ask something that is a, apart from Christ. And therefore, there is nothing whatever inconsistent between divine sovereignty and Christian prayer. It's a lot, but I learned a lot. And um, I think it's important to remind ourselves and to remind others of, of what prayer really means and, and how it, it requires a heart, a Christ-like heart, to approach him with our supplications. It also... I'm sure some of us have been told, um, you know, when, when, our, when our prayers aren't answered. And like I said, it's not, it's, it's not easy, right? It's not easy to let God do what God's going to do. And, you know, some of us, I, I've been told this, is that, well, you, you, you didn't get what you want because you just didn't pray hard enough. Has anybody else heard that? No, I didn't get what I want because what I wanted wasn't what God wanted. And it wasn't according to what he was going to align with his plan of the future. So I have a quote here. Um, a lot of a lot of what I got, uh, I got a lot of this from a lot of different theologians and scripture, and, and it was really hard. I, I debated on whether or not I wanted to pick a specific scripture for this, and it was like impossible. I, I, it was like all over the place. So I was like, I'm not gonna pick one. Um, but this is a, a quote by a theologian named A. W. Pink. How slow we are to learn the lesson that the haughty creature needs to be brought down to his knees and humbled into the dust. And this is where the very act of prayer is intended to put us. But man turns the footstool into a throne from whence he would fain direct the Almighty as to what he ought to do, giving, giving the onlooker looker the impression that if God had half the compassion that those who pray, all would quickly be put right. Such is the arrogance of the old nature, even in a child of God. What he's saying here is we have a pretensity, we have a a tendency to turn our footstool into a throne. We, we have a tendency to step up, put ourselves over God and dictate to him and tell him, I know what's best. And it, was, it was good. It was striking to me. So, Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you as just a humble people, a needy people who need you every day, every second. There is not a thing that goes by you know, on this earth that we don't need your hand in especially our souls and the learning of your scriptures and the learning of your ways. We ask that you guide us. We ask that you're with the people in our congregation that are hurting mentally and physically. We thank you for this building and our our church and our congregation. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for your son, Christ. We ask you that you bless us as we go. Build up courage in us to speak your word and speak your scriptures and put Christ in at the center of our hearts, I beg you to just help us put Christ on the throne of our hearts where he belongs. I thank you for those that came tonight. We love you very much. It's in Christ's name we pray.